Saturday, Our Lady's Day, so make sure everybody out there, you know, pray the rosary today. Or better yet, Little Office for Our Lady, the best, pray the Divine Office, but pray with all the propers for Our Lady. So there's good, better, best right there for you, your directions for sanctifying Our Lady's Day, which is Saturday. So before we begin, uh, just uh, reminding you, to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash militantomist. Uh, I know I haven't been talking as much about um, Patreon and stuff recently. It's mostly because I forget. But we do have a lot of new people here. Um, in the last month alone, we've grown by 500 people uh, subscribing. So if you really appreciate what I'm doing, make sure you do that. Uh, you could also become a YouTube member if you want all of your uh, questions answered during live streams. Um, and if you become a patron, you get access to uh, daily videos and a lot more than that. Uh, so make sure you go there. Or if you don't like Patreon, subscribe star slash militant dash Thomist. So okie dokie, let us begin. St. Dominic ora pro nobis, so true. Ah, I already said so true. Okay, so favorite saint excluding Our Lady and the Apostles. Oh, somebody, somebody, hounds of justice. You say it's the angelic doctor. Actually, that's not true. So let's see if anybody, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to wait for you guys to guess. I'm actually going to wait for you guys to guess. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you the, the easy answer. So I'm going to wait for you guys. To, uh, Shalom. This is a Bizcast channel. <laughs> Bruh. I know it, it, oh man, Shalom. You know, I have a, I go to a local Nova Sordo and it, well, occasionally, uh, usually like, I'd say I go there like once a month because there's another Nova Sordo like 25 minutes away from my house. It actually has a relic of St. Thomas Aquinas there. So I love going there, but the priest at this, at this parish during the sign of peace, he says Shalom and puts up a peace sign. Like, what are, you, what are you doing, man? That's like me saying, like, at the end of a service, like, Allah Akbar or something like that. Like, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? We don't, we don't shalom around here. We don't, we don't peace sign around here. Like, you're, you're just mixing together some weird Hebrew idiom with, like, some weird hippie idiom. Like, what, what do the hippies and the Hebrews have to do with one another? And um, my response at least two to this is enough i will hear no more of this hebrew nonsense so get out of here with your shaloms i don't want to hear them 
Okay, so, ah, great question. Uh, what, is, what are your thoughts on Divine Worship, the Daily Office, Commonwealth Edition? I do not have the Commonwealth Edition, but I do have the North American Edition right here. Actually, where's my second one? Is my, I guess my wife has hers. But we do do morning and evening prayer together, usually comp line. The middle hours are usually, maybe don't. But, yeah. I like... I like the North American edition. I would be up to trying the Commonwealth edition, but in the past, when I have prayed um, with the full office, not the not, not the um, the ordinary version, uh, my my biggest problem is Matt and Laud's Prime. Like it, what ends up happening every single time for me is I just spend an hour in the beginning of my day praying uh, Matt and Laud's Prime rather than when they're supposed to be prayed, which I mean. Yeah, that that's that's fine and all, but uh, it's not ideal. I'll just put it like that. What's your position on relative identity? What about it? Relative identity is used in a lot of um, different contexts. Okay, good question. Is the term spiritual presence acceptable for you, your view of the Eucharist? If not, why is it then said that the body of Christ is present after the mode of a spirit? Yes, it is. It is fine to speak of the Eucharist. And, well, Christ is being spiritually present in the Eucharist. Uh, some of the fathers, I know St. Athanasius will actually use that language. If I'm remembering, um, St. Augustine also used that language of spiritual presence. But spiritual, we're opposing spiritual to carnal. That's what we're opposing spiritual to. We're not uh, opposing it to substantial, which would be Calvin's way of doing it, where uh, virtual and substantial are being opposed to one another. So, yeah. Yeah, spiritual is fine. Just depends on how you uh, define your terms. Have you read The Imitation of Christ? It's actually one of the books I keep on my desk. Here it is. My copy of The Imitation of Christ. Yes. Have read it. Do love it. Uh, my favorite line is... Um, what does it matter if you can dispute on the Holy Trinity, yet you dishonor him by sin? Or is it by pride? I can't remember. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, it, it's really good. It also, um, no, that, I'm, no, that section I'm thinking of is in St. Francis de Sales, Introduction to the Devout Life. Yeah, but Imitation of Christ, really good, classic. I like that it's punchy. You know, you ever read these, some of these devotional books, and they just go on and on and on and on and on. That's not imitation of Christ. It can give you a page, page and a half to uh, contemplate and then um, engage in mental prayer. So it's really useful for that regard. But right now I am using um, St. John of the Cross. Uh, that, that's who I'm using for mental prayer. I don't know why I can think of St. John of the Cross's name. But no, not Newman, not Gary Lagrange, not Joseph Smith. The camera quality is horrible. Bruh. I gotta wipe the lens or something. Let's see. Is that better? Was it just that St. Pius the Tenth, Marcel Lefebvre? No, you guys are all getting wrong. It's St. John of the Cross. That's who's my favorite. Uh, when you pray your rosary, do you pray it according to the method of St. Dominic? Do not tell Calder, but I don't. Oh, I have like a maybe that'll. Okay, is that better? I hope that's better. 
So how, how does that daily office compare to the Anglican office book by Lance Davis? So I have used the Anglican office book. That's what I used to use um, before I converted. Yeah, I used it up until I converted. I'm trying to think when I sold my daily office books. But um, with the daily office book, it is a lot like um, Divine Worship Daily Office, except I think the daily office book is better on the propers. It retains the propers a lot better. And it's a lot more intuitive to use because with this, you, I, I don't know why um, liturgists just like to split everything up. You know what you could do? You know what would be easy? Don't have a separate calendar. And well, basically they have a separate, a separate calendar and then they have separate uh, calendar readings and then they have a separate propers for the readings and then they have a separate hymn, hymnology for the readings. Like, come on now, just put them all in one place. Like if I should go uh, to the feast day of St. Therese, let's say, go to the feast day of St. Therese, I should see the readings. I should see the hymn. I should see everything there. I should see the collect. I should see the antiphons. I should see everything. I shouldn't have to go to four different places throughout the throughout the office. That's just ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. But yes, that that's uh, Lance Davis does excel uh, when it comes to uh, being user friendly. But remember, it's not approved by the church, so use at your own risk, I guess. But I did write a review actually on it, and I did quite like it. Uh, what is, oh, oh, I don't see, what is your thoughts on Peter Thickpins? I'm assuming you meant Thiggins or, uh, Thickpins. Beliefs, yeah, you have a few typos in there. Belief that a Catholic can believe in rational extraterrestrials. <sighs> well, technically Catholics already do believe in rational extraterrestrials. They're called angels, so. Uh, but my belief that you would have some sort of, um, so, so the thing is, okay, so there is, when it comes to the genus rational, I guess if you want to, everything that has the note of rational is either animate or, uh, well, either corporeal or non-corporeal. Those that are uh, rational and corporeal, those are rational animals and therefore men. Those who are rational and non-corporeal those are called angels. So really, uh, the entirety um, of the of the genus is exhausted by men and by angels. You, you can't have something can't. There's no tertium quid between um, between corporeal and non corporeal, or at least corporeal and then mixed. You can't have a purely uh, corporeal um, rational uh, being that wouldn't make any sense. So there is no there is no um, tertium quid. Now, on other, so would you could you have humans on other planets is really what you're asking, and um, I would say it would be licit, but I don't know why one would believe it. That seems like space nerd stuff. Like, oh my gosh, I'm a space dude. I'm gonna look out to space and go exploring in space. Like, no, it's the space is an empty void. That's what it is. And astronauts, they're lame. They go up and poop in a bag. That's lame. So. When it comes to stuff like that, I think it's just, I think it's just dumb. Like, oh my gosh, look at this, like, picture this telescope took. No, actually, the whole picture is actually CGI, but we're not going to tell you that. We're going to tell you this telescope actually took the picture, even though it's all CGI. Like, like the whole space industry stuff is just lame. We should just stop wasting our money on space stuff. Like, wow, we went to the moon. 
or did we? I think the moon landing was fake. Uh, if you're going to ask me, so that 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 that's my schizo rant right there. In what form of the Trinity should I believe as a Catholic? The Trinity, like, what what do you mean? What form of the Trinity? I'm very confused right now. There's only one form of the Trinity. Read the Athanasian Creed. That is the one form of the Trinity. Everything else uh, denies the Trinity. Even denying the Filioque. But I will not continue to comment on that. Kyle the EO is my favorite saint. So true, King. So true. Can a Protestant be saved if he has faith that worketh by charity? Yeah, of course. But he wouldn't be saved qua Protestant. He would be saved uh, despite his Protestantism. Okay, good question. Uh, how is John 17.3 supposed to be understood? I will go to John 17.3. Oh, yeah, and Lexi said you guys did a much better job with uh, the last Q&A. Your questions were much better, which kind of surprised me. Okay, so... Oh, okay, good, good question. So the question is... Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Okay, so I'm assuming you're asking why we call the Father the only true God. So when it comes to our way of thinking, at least in the common language in which we describe the Trinity, usually we describe it like this, that there is one divine essence there's one God, and then there are uh, three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Very simple. But actually, when you look at the way in which New Testament language speaks, most of the time, and again, there's notable exceptions, such as in the book of Acts in referencing to, um, I think it's like Acts 6 or 7, uh, when Ananias and Sapphira, uh, where the Holy Spirit is called God, or uh, obviously John 1, where Christ is called God. And uh, other places like Romans 9, where Christ is called God. But uh, out, outside of those uh, more restricted cases, most of the time in the New Testament, God doesn't act like an essential name. So usually when we think of God, we're predicating a divinity of something. But actually, most of the time in the New Testament where God is used, it's referring to what's called a notional, um, notional term, not an essential term. So uh, by by God, you can gloss just Father there. So the only true Father would would be um, would be the appropriate way of reading that, because there isn't this same idea as prevalent in the New Testament and in early Trinitarian theology that God is a name in which uh, we use to uh, designate divine essence uh, rather than designating a certain person. So, yeah, and it's the same way with Lord. Like we, when we use the term Lord, and this is used in uh, also the Athanasian Creed, um, when we use the term Lord, we usually think of something which is being predicated of divinity. But actually, in the New Testament, Lord is most often used in reference to the Son. Um, so, so there's in the New Testament there is a clean language when it comes to being able to um, separate, uh, at least uh, by separate, uh, distinguish uh, using those terms quick and easy. Um, but we have just in the church really uh, abandoned uh, that language, which is fine because we keep the same concepts 
We just don't use the same language, which can be kind of difficult for people when they are reading their New Testaments and trying to look for Trinitarian doctrine there. When they read stuff like that, they're like, oh, the only true God? Well, God, in my mind, means the divine at something which has the divine essence. But actually, in the mind of the New Testament authors, it's referring to the person of the Father um, as, a, uh, as a notional name. So, good question. Um... Did you watch the massive The Ages documentaries? If so, what were your general thoughts? Um, yeah, I watched the Mass of the Ages documentaries. It's so-so. I mean, Hassan has some good critiques. Uh, River Ron did a good stream with his critiques of it, but there's good aspects to it. Kind of shows the, the glory of the Tridentine Mass. Okay, uh, show thy rosary. Keep it right on my desk. There it is. I like it. Uh, Lexi bought it for me. It's. Uh, I like the sort of black look to it. So there's my rosary. One should always keep his rosary near his desk. Okay. In the Roman view, how can the same body of Christ be present in multiple locations without some sort of communication of majesty from the divine to the human nature as Lutherans suppose? Okay. This is a good question. So... And there's multiple different ways in which I can answer this, multiple different lines. I'm going to go down. I'm trying to think of which one I want to. Okay, so first, thinking about what bilocation is. So there's a distinction made among Thomistic philosophers, or elite, really among theologians in general, between uh, proper and then improper bilocation. So all we mean by proper bilocation is that you have something in two places, which is which is dimensively there. So it's under the dimensions of that one place. So like this book is under the dimensions of this area right there. This would be properly located here. And then let's say this book was also like up there, then it would be properly located there. Now for Thomas in general, and this is the, the common sentence, uh, Bonaventure uh, agrees to this, and then the Scotus uh, deny the sentence. But for uh, Thomistic uh, philosophers, this proper bilocation of being in two locations like that is impossible since something is individualized by its matter and something can't be individualized by two matters or it would be two things and therefore not be bilocated. But um, there is what's called improper bilocation. So improper bilocation is something which is present not under the matter of dimension. So like angels are present uh, not locally but illocally. Uh, since they are a uh, pure intellect and therefore do not have these sort of material dimensions that we can talk about the angel being present here uh, dimensively, but only uh, in, um, in effect. And then also um, I'm trying to think of the ways in which Thomas speaks of angels being present somewhere, but all, all of that is to say is that when it comes to uh, something being located somewhere Dimensively and then non-dimensively. This isn't something which is strictly uh, quasi-substance, supernatural. So this isn't something which is properly predicated of something as above the exigencies of nature. Something which is natural, i.e. angels, can be present somewhere not after a dimensive mode. And may even uh, be said to bilocate in, in the improper sense. Whereas, um, so so I think I think when the when the Lutherans uh, try to posit that 
there needs to be some sort of communication of a divine attribute to the humanity, they get it wrong because uh, this isn't something which is a divine attribute. It's actually something which is preternatural. It's not supernatural in the strict and substantial sense. It's something which is preternatural and therefore only after a, after a, a supernatural mode. So uh, is there, is there some sort of elevation of Christ's humanity uh, by, by grace in participating in the divinity like you would have any sort of theosis of a man. Yes, of course, there's the grace of union that is present. And to read more about that, uh, Turchia Pars talks about the grace of union. But uh, this isn't something which is, um, which is a, uh, I guess you could say in, in a sort of Palamite language, this isn't something uncreated uh, that's being, um, an uncreated attribute that's being communicated to the sun. It's only being participated uh, in the sun after a created manner. So I hope that's helpful. Uh, that's probably uh, a lot more uh, and a lot heavier than most of the explanations you've heard from uh, the reformed, but I hope that, uh, that, that does it for you. Yeah. Ask me more questions like that, please. <laughs> Everybody else I'm tired of asking like the same question, like, well, what are your thoughts on Pope Francis? Okay, camera quality is better. Uh, St. Joseph never laughed according to the orthos. Real. I'm trying to think of like a, like a, um, like a zinger back to the orthodox, but I can't think of one right now. So. Camera quality is better. Good. So, need a divine office in Irish. Interesting. Well, there probably is one. Let me, I know there's like a website with divine offices in like a million languages. And also as a note, I do need to go at one forty-five. I have a class on Plato at two o'clock. So if you really want to get your questions answered and want to help your boy out, remember, uh, throw in a super chat for me or become a member and I will answer every single last one of your questions. Okay, so why do Bible publishing houses use anything but all the English? Honestly, I'm wondering why Bible publishing houses do anything but Latin. I'm Vulgate only, man. Take the take the Bible out of the common language of the man. I don't want the plowboy reading the Bible. So true. You should be reading the Catechism. That's it. And yes, I like the new Catechism. Stephen Cope. Okay, so is eating a small amount of food when not hungry just for enjoyment the sin of gluttony? Say eating uh, caramel chocolate when not hungry just to enjoy it. To me, it seems okay. Okay, so what gluttony is, is gluttony is the, trying to, the, the concupiscible, the I can never pronounce it, the concupiscible, you, you know, the, the, the appetite that has to do with concupiscence, that one. Uh, that It's that really overtaking the reason. Um, and submitting the reason unto it. So there isn't a sort of either um, rational motive or rational pleasure for partaking of that thing. In any case where the reason is submitted to the passions voluntarily, that is a sin, whether it be of gluttony or of lust. Even, even so, no, I'm not going to go down that. Uh, rabbit trail but yes um anytime where you have the reason submitted 
to the passions or the appetites. That is um, an instance of sin. So uh, when it comes to eating um, eating some ch caramel chocolate just because you enjoy it, uh, if it's a rational good, um, one in which you're not, uh, I guess you could say addicted or compelled would be the most proper language we can use. Yeah, that's fine. Like I, I smoke uh, one or two cigarettes a day because I just enjoy it. Um, now, if I was feeling compelled or I had a certain interior compulsion of necessity that caused me to smoke, then that, yes, that would be something sinful. But uh, if you don't have that, then you're fine. Okay, uh, what works do you recommend to answer objections raised by oneness Pentecostals and the like? Uh, read Summa Contra Gentiles. Uh, if you, I think it's, what, book four that covers the Trinity? Uh, I'm trying to look. Yes, book four. Read um, the first, let me see, I think it's, okay, so the first 49 chapters, or I guess maybe a little bit more than that, but like, yeah, about the first 50 chapters of book four of Summa Contra Gentiles, because that's what Summa Contra Gentiles is meant to be. It's meant to be a dogmatic text that we're proving certain propositions from the from the sources <clears throat> of revelation and from reason. So it's it's the perfect text for something like that. Favorite English translation of the Bible. Okay, so I yes, I use I use a Dewey Reams. I use the Baronius Press one. I use a Dewey Reams. Now I like the KJV better. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. Technically, Catholics believe in rational extraterrestrials. They're called the angels. Favorite beer? Um, Guinness. Have you guys never noticed the, the uh, Maryland Guinness I keep back here? Because I'm from Maryland, love Maryland. And I also love Guinness. And I was up in Maryland drinking some Guinness, and I noticed the bottle, I mean, the, uh, the can, had both Maryland and Guinness on it. So, yeah. Okay, do you have a good book about the law of identity in relation to the Trinity? No. Um, I can't think of something that specifically covers it. Uh, I'm assuming you're talking about the, the Kofi argument about the 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 3 or the LPT. Um, I mean, I know um, if you want a specific author that's going to cover it, the Sacred Theologia Summa does cover it, but that's probably going to be too advanced for most of you to be able to understand what it's even talking about. Um, and I know Lagrangeus uh, Trinity uh, commentary also uh, talks about it, but again, I think that's a bit too advanced. It's just like uh, one, of, just one of my clips or something where I talk about this is is basically sufficient. Just understanding the difference between a real, a virtual, and a, and a nominal uh, distinction. It's an easy uh, sort of thing. Does St. Thomas have a theology of sleep? Tried looking but couldn't find it. I don't know. I'm gonna look, I'm gonna look for this for a second. So all of you with questions down at the bottom. Because right now I am at 12.59. Ooh, I'm like 15 minutes behind in the live chat. Sorry about that. So yeah, probably not getting your getting your questions. I mean, so it's been sleep. Let me see. Is there a theology of sleep? Oh my. Um, okay, so there's a lot in Secunda Secunde mentioning sleep. Let's see. Lust. Uh, why would it cover it under lust? 
of nocturnal pollution. Prophecy, prophetic knowledge. Hmm. In the supplementum, there's some. Oh, no, that's probably talking about the sleep of the souls. Huh. Okay. There's some in the beginning of Tertia Pars. Let me, let me look. There's some in Prima Pars. I'm not seeing anything that's specifically like a theology of sleep. Oh, come on. Load this stupid Aquinas.cc website. Come on. Load, load, load. Ah, that's not loading. Whatever. Sorry, man. No, uh, no theology of sleep for you. Okay. How does baptism affect regeneration in infants if faith is needed to appropriate the benefits of regeneration? And yet that same faith cannot be had without regeneration. It seems confused. Okay. Uh, that's a really good question. So I think you are failing to distinguish between habitual faith and then actual faith. We would say that regeneration is affected in, uh, in, in the infusion of the habits of faith, hope, and charity. And also um, the, really it's a lot more than faith, hope, and charity because there's all the uh, supernaturally infused moral virtues too, and the gifts of the Holy Ghost and everything like that. But they're infused habitually into the infant, and then uh, they're not actual until the uh, age of reason. So now specifically to uh, what you're asking, how does baptism affect regeneration infants if faith is needed to appropriate the benefits of regeneration? Faith is not needed to appropriate the benefits of regeneration since regeneration is something which is passive in us. Yeah, that same faith cannot be had without regeneration. Um, yeah, exactly. Oh, I think the, the main problem is, is that you're thinking of regeneration or what we would call, um, I, I guess this is generally speaking, justification uh, in, in a Catholic way of speaking, because I know you're Lutheran. But when it comes to justification, justification isn't uh, an effect of cooperating grace. It's an, it's an effect of operating grace. So the distinction uh, that's made there between operating and cooperating grace and if you really want to figure out about this, make sure you go to the website, Annotated Thomist. In about two weeks, I'll probably be out with my video summa commentary on uh, the tract on grace. But operating grace is God moving us, basically. And then uh, cooperating grace is God moving us and then also moving our will in order to cooperate in some sort of way. So the previous way is actually justification. And the latest, latter way is how we think of merit or a certain growing of justice, which uh, I think it's best expressed in, uh, in the words of St. John of the Cross. It's like you have in justification, the, it's like a, like a log, which is being set on fire. Um, the, the flaming of the log is justification and the licking up the flames is sort of how we would think of as a merit. It's uh, it, it comes from uh, completely divine acts in the Holy spirit working within us, uh, both to will and to work. So yeah, I, uh, if, if that helps. Funny, we went to the moon, but our new improved rockets can't make it to space. I know, right? You have like, oh, my, actually, look at this Hollywood movie. Like, random black lady in the 60s did all the math for the moon landing. But all of a sudden, our, like, supercomputers just can't do the math. Oh, no, but she did it, like, by hand, paper and pencil. She did all the math. Our computers can't do it. None of our models can do it. Like, come on, you really want me to believe that? You really want me to believe that? That's just ridiculous. That's just ridiculous. Uh, some call all 
rational animals men, but we nowadays use men to refer to hairless biped animals. We wouldn't call rational octopuses, octopus aliens men. But would such octopi be men metaphysically? Yes, they would be metaphysically. And hairless uh, bipedal animals. Uh, and if if you're really if you're really serious about this question, I cover a lot of this in my course on logic and uh, the catechism on logic. How we are exactly finding uh, the definition for terms. So uh, w the reason why hairless bipedal uh, would not be the specific difference for. Uh, for men, and we can't define hairless bipedal animal as men, is because uh, you could just, uh, again, pluck a chicken and, and put it out, and it would be a hairless uh, bipedal animal. Um, <laughs> it wouldn't, I guess technically a chicken would be hairless bipedal animal, um, if you really think about it, because animal just means something which is animate, it's hairless, doesn't have hair, and it's uh, bipedal, it, it's on two feet. So yeah, technically a chicken would be a human under under that definition. But really when you have a specific difference, which is uh, describing a certain species within a genus, you need something which completely divides it from the rest of the genus. So with a uh, if you had a ra rational octopus, yes, it would be a man, it would be a human. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, it would be. My three books by Charles Copens just arrived, so pumped. There you go, King. Remember uh, everybody out there, uh, this is, I guess, a good time to, to mention it. So uh, you're already mentioning it in the chat. Thank you. So if you go over here to christianbwagner.com and you click shop and you go under, I think it's under, no, it's under philosophy. It's under philosophy right here. You have three Copen's brief textbooks on logic, mental philosophy, and moral theology. So make sure you pick up those. And he actually has a short uh, systematic theology. Most people don't know about that. Uh, systematic study of the Catholic religion. I actually went to. So, yeah, make sure you remember to do that. Uh, can you explain why we are saved by faith alone? Okay, so really what justification is, is justification is the proper interior ordering of all of our faculties, uh, our intellect submitted unto God, and then our various uh, faculties submitted to the other faculties, such as the will to the intellect and the affections to the will. So uh, faith, which is formed by charity, remember faith formed by charity, and faith being the, uh, really is the submission of the intellect unto God. Uh, in a supernatural manner, and then also substantially supernatural, in that we submit ourselves unto God, known as the object, our beatifying object. And then when it comes to the will submitting to the intellect and also submitting unto God, that's what we call charity. And then the affections are really uh, how we would generally refer to as a hope, all of these in supernatural modes. So when we speak of faith alone, we're really talking about uh, the the entirety of, uh, of, of really by, by faith alone, in the way in which the reformers are generally going to refer to as faith, and also the way in which sacred scripture uh, tends to refer to as faith, is kind of a mixture between uh, faith, properly speaking, uh, hope and love. So if we mean faith alone in the sense of a faith which is formed by charity, which includes hope, then we would be correct in saying that we are saved by faith alone, since, we, since that is the intrinsic ordering, submitting ourselves to God. Um, so there you go. And sorry, I was looking away from the screen. I know that's a little weird. I just had to, I just kind of got to like stare into space sometimes while I'm thinking. 
Okay, it seems that accident is used in two senses, either one to denote that which adheres in a subject, or two, a note which is non-essential to a species. How are these different or related? Well, really, uh, the issue that you have, and St. Thomas brings this up, the issue that you have with um, denying, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover the first one, because the second one isn't really actually uh, important when it comes to the, the question at hand. Uh, and I guess I'm just going to riff on on how I how I feel like answering. Uh, but your the, the quick and dirty yeah, quick and dirty answer is the first one is actually referring to a cate- uh, a category of being or um, yeah one of the one of the ten categories, and then the second one is um, referring to it uh, not metaphysically but logically. So that that is your um, that, that is your answer right there. And the okay, I, I will I will go on to what originally I felt like talking about. So. The issue with defining accident as something which adheres in a substance, and that, this is something that I didn't understand. And this is why I thought actually that I couldn't be Catholic uh, when it came to Thomas's view of transubstantiation. The reason I was wrong is that adhering in a subject is not the real definition of an accident. And I'm using real definition in its proper sense. It's what's called a nominal definition or merely the, uh, the prima facie or face value definition, the quick and dirty definition of how we would think of something. It's not a real definition because it doesn't describe um, the the formal difference between an accident and a substance. It doesn't describe that formal difference. There is no reason, formally speaking, why, why an accidental form cannot properly um, why, why an accident can't properly uh, inhere um, as accidental form in matter without, um, without its proper substance. There's, there's no formal reason why this is necessary in philosophy. So it's not the real definition. It's just a nominal definition. But it's kind of the best we have, uh, so to speak. So that's why St. Thomas is going to say, well, we can uh, think of it as something which uh, ordinarily inheres in, in a substance. Uh, because it's, it, we we don't really um, know, it's really hard to um, hard to define a lot of things, especially when we're getting to uh, things that deep. So we really merely give um, accidents a nominal uh, definition. I mean, even with things like substance or uh, nature or essence or being, we don't give proper definitions to any of that stuff. We merely give um, a sort of description. Uh, to those things. So uh, a lot of people want real definitions a lot more than we can give. So which interpretation do you use for Mark 1332? Assuming that's a day or hour. The interpretation I usually give, um, uh, sorry, I just, I don't know why I laughed. uh, Because this is actually a really obscure uh, topic. But you can't say it's two natures. You can't. Uh, That would be, I'm thinking it would be false in theology or an error in Catholic doctrine. I'm trying to think of the specific theological note of this. But as the fathers always taught, uh, especially the Latin fathers, Christ knew everything that a man could know. So it's, uh, we would call it like a relative omniscience in Christ. So you have to interpret it in a certain way wherein Christ is not saying that he did not have that piece of knowledge. Now, the, the way that I think is, is most apt is saying that 
is I think St. Gregory the Great interprets it this way, but as not being able to reveal that knowledge that he has. What's the best sci-fi series in your opinion? I don't watch sci-fi. Imagine wanting to live in a place where humans literally can't breathe. Okay, uh, further, if a particular note is both essential to a species and inheres in a subject, e.g. rationality, is it an accident or no? It's, okay, so it's an essential note, but it's an accident. So yeah, uh, really what's happening is you're using an equivocal senses. The first way is logical and the second way is metaphysical. And they only really have a connection to kind of quid. Um, beautiful rosary. Why should I be Roman Catholic? It's a good question. I would say the reason I'm a Roman Catholic is because Roman Catholicism really has a theory for everything. So, and and what I mean by this, and actually I eventually want to do work trying to synthesize this, but if you look at the progression of knowledge, um, and and not the progression of knowledge in the sense that how we know something, but the progression of knowledge in the sense of um, uh, qua being, um, the the ontological progression of knowledge, you start out with logic and then you go to uh, what's called ontology or general metaphysics. And then you go to special metaphysics. So this includes cosmology, uh, natural theology, everything like that. Then you go to ethics and then you bridge the gap into something which is called fundamental theology. And then in fundamental theology, uh, you, you really study, um, a sort of quasi bridge between philosophy and theology. And then after that, you sort of enter into this, um, into this field of theology following, obviously the organization given in the, given in the Summa Theologiae of St. Thomas, uh, of the, of the sort of Exodus at Redditus model. Now, why, why do I say all that? The reason I say all that is what you can find in Rome is a complete and, orderly connection of every single one of those categories, subcategories in them, all of the connections between them. Really what you see is you see all of your, in, in your theological argumentation, your, your premises in there were treated a long time ago and you're merely adding a minor premise. Uh, and the example of this, I want to give everybody. And that was, that was a very convoluted answer. Um, but all I'm saying is that really uh, Rome gives you a theory of everything, um, the theory of all of, of reality, really, uh, all of natural and supernatural knowledge. Um, and, and, and really in a, in a sort of spectacular way. And the more that I study Catholic philosophy, the more I understand this. And I also understand this now um, as I'm getting deeper into the Sacred Theologia Summa and I'm reading through it all um, after a more systematic way. So. Yeah, that, that's that's all I mean, um, is that you really do have a theory of everything in Rome. And everything is connected and everything makes sense. And it's really an edifice 
with the divine stamp on it. It is nothing this orderly could be constructed by men. Our, our divines, our theologians, uh, they commune truly with angels. Um, there's, our, our theologians uh, were, were not merely uh, stuck in their minds. Our theologians were mystics who were, who were getting sort of glimmers of uh, eternal realities and then uh, kind of sputtering out um, words from those, from, from what they had seen. And that is just something uh, which is evident, or really, really is evident when you, when you look at Roman dogmatics. Yeah, I, I would say that that really is uh, if if you why you should why you should become Roman Catholic now. Uh, somebody's going to exceed in cope and say, "Um, oh, actually, uh, you just said like basically like you you didn't give me any like reasons or like quotes from the Bible or any of the sources of dogma." Well, I had like five minutes to just give them like a brief overview of of a good reason. So, exceed in cope. Oh, there, there's only one form. Uh, it is it is a, uh, a, a the myth of heretics to think that there are multiple forms of of the Trinitarian theology. Social Trinity that's the, that's heresy. Monarchy of the Father uh, everybody should at least believe with that. I know Latins believe it. Um, for example, Saint Thomas called you know, Saint Augustine calls the Father the um, the principle without a principle in the Trinity. Question. Aquinas held pre-fall humans had dreams, Bonaventure that they didn't. Is it possible an Adam and Eve had lucid dreams alone where they're knowing they're dreaming, they could have more fun and controlling dreams? I have I have no idea. I have no idea. Uh question. Okay, great one. Uh if Pope Francis declares a crusade, should and or must we fight? We should. Okay, let me I'm gonna try to look to see if there's any of my Okay, there's one of them. See if there's any of my uh, YouTube members asking questions. Man, there are a lot of you guys asking questions. I will try to go a little bit uh, faster. Oh man, there's just so many questions. So I do have one of my, there you go. So what do you think of Timothy Gordon's argument that Catholic teaching uh, says that outside of financial necessity is always wrong for a married couple to work outside the home, married women to work outside the home? Uh, I agree with it. Um, actually, actually, I'll distinguish a bit. So I think this is actually not even really a precept of, of the magisterium. I don't think it's even necessary to even go there. I think this is just a precept of, of natural law. And that's how Catholic philosophers have always treated it. It would be like asking, what does the magisterium teach about uh, like the nature of being or something like that? This is really a matter more for philosophers thinking in the realm of domestics. But obviously, sacred scripture does uh, mention uh, the right ordering of households. And the magisterium has taught concerning the right order of households. But yes, um, the, the magisterium, especially Pope St. Pius X and Leo XIII, have seen women working outside the home as not something which is good, as something which is bad. 
um, as something which shows that we are in a society in decay. Oh man, I have 11 more minutes here. Okay, uh, so I will answer quickly. Uh, by communication, Lutherans simply mean participation and an energetic working in and through the human nature, but not some sort of transfer tr transmutation of essential properties. Okay, sounds good. Uh, what books would you recommend on learning Catholic sexual ethics? Um, I would just recommend reading uh, the chapter on matrimony in the Catechism of Council of Trent. That's really good. What on earth does he drink out of? Was that water? Yes, that's my gallon jug of water. Seating code. Looks like a two-gallon tank. Hello. Hello. Okay, what do you uh, see as the biggest error in Molinism is why is the traditional Thomas interpretation correct? Uh, I think the biggest error of Molinism is that it has some issues in the doctrine of God. So when it comes to... Okay, I will I will state this a little bit more carefully. So when it comes to counterfactuals, I think uh, Thomas can easily agree with there being counterfactuals. Now, the issue with with the way in which Molinists are going to describe counterfactuals is it's going to seeming, seemingly remove God's causality and God's intentional causality from being the basis of these counterfactuals. So really, they uh, are kind of floating out there in midair with the cause, and they become uh, quasi-divine, being a self-moved mover and a self-caused cause. This is this becomes a huge issue. And uh, the Thomistic interpretation is correct because God is absolutely independent. God knows things in and through his essence, uh, in and through the fact that he is cause of things, uh, where in the Molinist interpretation, that would not be uh, not be so at least consistently speaking, although I know they'll deny that, but they can see the code. Okay, so if animals and plants have their own kind of souls, what about simple life forms? Does a par paramecium have a soul? Yes, it, it does, because all soul is being used in that sense is, is some sort of vivifying principle. Okay, so social Trinitarianism is condemned as polytheistic. Monarchial model is accepted as long as it doesn't deny the filioque. Catholics affirm fathers, the sole principle of the Trinity, so true. Uh, as a Thomas, do you think Thomas got anything wrong? If so, do you feel compelled to defend his views or can you correct him? Okay, so there is, and I guess this is kind of, this is kind of a militant Thomas uh, confession right here. There is one thing that I haven't been able to interpret in St. Thomas in an orthodox sense. And that is when he writes about the sacramentality of the Episcopate. St. Thomas uh, did see the Episcopate as the same order as the priesthood, which is not right. So there you, you got me. Uh, everything else I think he taught in an orthodox sense, and I, I agree with him. <laughs> what do you think about Pope Francis, Mr. Wagner? Can you tell us a bit about your conversion story? No, I can't. You know, you know what you can do? You know what you can do? And... Just go go to YouTube, look up conversion, conversion, Christian Wagner. Look it up. Typing it in right now. You'll see one from the cordial Catholic, one from intellectual conservatism, one.
two videos, you have almost two and a half hours of material right there. If you just want to hear all about my conversion, uh, let me see what else. Conversion, Christian Wagner. Uh, I'm trying to think who else did one. Yeah, there's like there's like five of them out there. So if you, if you really want to, you can uh, you can just watch the videos and not ask me twenty thousand times on the Q and A. Sorry, guys, if you if you've asked me twenty thousand times on the Q and A before. Okay, so um, how does the appeal to an infallible magisterium not result in the same circuit of reasoning as those who hold to sola scriptura and the alleged authority of private judgment? Yeah, that's why I think it's a yeah. And uh, where are you? How do you pronounce it? Ya Yao Yao Yuan. Yeah, I saw I saw your video, the the one with the the one with the uh, Trent Hornbinky thing. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I think it's I that's been my biggest critique. I've always been a critiquer. I've always critiqued since really the the, the beginning. Uh, a lot of the Catholic answers, sort of uh, epistemological necessity uh, type arguments. I think they're terrible. I did a whole video with the other Paul on it. Um, I, I don't think it's defensible. We need to return to classic fundamental theology. And the reason that they use it is because it's cheap and it's easy. And it really brings numbers in, although it is a house of cards um, and it will fall. So, yeah, that's that's my. So say you see a juicy steak and can't help but feel attracted to it as you'd like to eat it. But this compulsion isn't an addiction. It doesn't necessitate you. Is this OK? <laughs> um, this is a very, a very particular uh, question. Um, as long as you're able to like order, um, still able to order your will uh, towards that good in a reasonable way, and it's not sort of like a, a, a necessary compulsion type thing. Okay. The Trinity is false. The man who created this was named Tertullian from North Africa. Whoa, dude. Wow. Wow. I've never heard that before. How about uh, you here getting blocked? Would you like that? No. Trinity, not false. True, based, and Catholic. Okay, so, ooh. Okay, so given that Franciscan model of Trinity leads to modal uh, modalism under a rational, rational distinction between intellect and will, do you think Scotus's uh, formal distinction can help avoid the problem of modalism? So I don't I don't think there is really a Franciscan model of of the Trinity. I, I really think when I read when I read uh, Scotus when I read Scotus when it comes to the Trinity especially, and it's also this way with the beatific vision. When Scotus is treating a lot of these questions, he's asking whether something is necessary. He's not asking whether something is. And I think a lot of people miss that. That's why you get like the copy. 
Eastern Catholics saying that there's an Eastern, uh, there, there's a sort of different SCOTUS model of the, of the uh, beatific vision. There isn't. Uh, SCOTUS is asking what is the minimal essential object of the beatific vision. He still thinks that it's uh, it's God one in three essential in relations. That, that he still thinks that that is the object of the beatific vision. He's asking what you need when it comes to the beatific vision. Okay, I'm all the way up to one fourteen. Oh man, thirty minutes behind. Oh no, it's one forty three. I have two minutes. I will give you guys extra time. I'll give you guys seven minutes. I will try to power through as many of these as I can. Oh, what? Dating, adult dating site. Get out of here soon. Are you Roman Catholic? Yes. Are vampires and werewolves real? Yes, they are. And there's actually a, like, um, like, priest handbooks it's like if you read a lot of the like first-hand accounts of the medievals when it came to vampires and werewolves it was it was extremely real uh like there there's no way that a historian could deny this as as much as they would like it, it's we have more evidence for vampires and werewolves than we have for evidences of julius caesar easy How can I prove to my heretic friends that the filial way is true? You'll have to wait and find out for my debate. Burn them alive. <laughs> Come on now, dude. Oh my gosh. Vampires, sterile, flamboyant, active at night, reproduced by literal predatory activities. Sound familiar? Yes. He surprised me when he didn't deny the faith alone part. Yeah, yeah, I don't deny uh, faith alone. Uh, we are justified by faith alone through grace, grace alone. Yes. Amen. So true. Uh, okay. Good question. Uh, can I know uh, that I am in a state of grace? Yes or no? It depends on what you mean by now. So St. Thomas says that we can know something in three ways, uh, really three modes. So the first mode of knowing something is by way of revelation. So in this way, obviously, somebody can know that they are in a state of grace if it is revealed to them that they will persevere to the end. So, yeah, yeah, in that way, of course. Now, the second way is a certain way of knowing whereby we remove all fear of doubt, uh, so-called absolute or metaphysical certitude. And in this way, no, we cannot. And the reason that we cannot know in this way where we can know this in, in, with other things is because this requires what's called an a priori argument. So an argument that's not only in the logical, but in the, in, in the ontological uh, order. And again, of course, on logic, very important. See, I cover it with everything. So when it comes to the ontological cause of grace, it's something which is supernatural. That is God. And it's also substantially supernatural. So you you do need some sort of supernatural knowledge in order to certainly know it by way of cause, which is impossible when it comes to God. So, no, in um, 
in in that way of absolute metaphysical certitude? No, 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 no. But there's a third way in which we can know something. So the third way we can know something is some sort of uh, inductive way of looking at certain signs and then uh, deducing a thesis from one of, from some of those signs. So if you have certain signs of outward holiness, you have certain signs of the love of God, you have a knowledge that you uh, that you have faith. Um, if you uh, are not conscious of any mortal sin, those are those are various signs that you can you can have that you may know um, propositionally that you that you are in a state of grace. A good question. Your thoughts on uh, anime Catholic Twitter? Uh, no comment. Oh man. Okay. Uh, I am. I'm getting right down to the line. I have three minutes. Somebody asked me about uh, Palamism in the Eastern Catholic uh, chat. Sorry, I will not be able to answer that question. That would take me too long. Um, what should a paralyzed person that can do nothing but exist and think not move not talk not do anything be put to death dude I'm blocking you you're gross you're getting blocked uh, did Mary have concupiscence no she didn't she did not have concupiscence I'm trying to get to the get to the current questions, and there's these this dating site thing, block. Okay, good. I've finally gotten to the bottom. I will. I have two more minutes here, so somebody ask a good question. Two minutes. Two minutes. Wow. 26 of you, not one question for my last two minutes. I mean, I can't cover all of Palamism in two minutes. I can't, I just can't do it, man. Does witchcraft have any real power? Good question. Good question. I will end it on this. So yes, it is actually Catholic doctrine. And I'm using that in the in the sense of the uh, the theological note that magic exists. If you read like all of these old um, manuals of theology, they they spend a long time proving that magic exists. And it's kind of weird. So yes, uh, witchcraft has real power, and it's all demonic. Uh, favorite color: uh, orange. Uh, why are you so on edge today, King? I don't think am I on edge. I think I was on edge. Maybe I'm just. I don't know. Maybe I am. What? Are angels uncreated or created? They're created. And how can angels sin? They sin in the first moment of their existence. Okay. There. Uh, oh, oh, it's 150. Gotta go. Okay, bye.